I think I cultivated a studio that uh, of people that just expected to do lessons year round because I weeded out people that didn't want to. And I was really upfront and I would bring a lot of people in either at the beginning or end of the summer each year. And, um, and over time, this just got easier and easier and easier. Hey, welcome back to the seven figure music school podcast. This is the podcast where we share practical ideas on how to scale a mission-driven school. Now, since the beginning of the year, we've created several series of episodes. We did a series on teacher training and development. We did that back in January. And then we did a series on summer camp back in February. And we just finished a short series on hiring someone to manage your school for you. So for this episode, we thought we would take a break from some of these big ideas and dive into a small but important topic that I get asked about quite a bit. Uh, something that could save you potentially a lot of money and a little bit of stress. And it's a topic that I know every studio owner I know thinks about at this time of the year. It's music students taking a break over the summer. So in this episode, we're going to take a look at a really practical method for keeping students through the summer. Nice. So, Daniel, this sounds amazing. And... Uh, I want to just start by asking you, because this is different than how Brooklyn Music Factory approaches their summer, and I love that you have a super practical method for this. Um, so how did you deal with summer absences you know, with your studio back in the day? So to start with, the way that I conceived of challenges in my studio was one where if I felt frustration or found myself complaining about something over and over and over again, I was getting an outcome that I didn't want. The natural way that I began to think about it was, how can I plan or manage my way out of this? Is there, are, are there actions that I could take that would either create the circumstances I want or, quote unquote, prevent the circumstances I don't want? Um, mm. And that's kind of the perspective I had. The second perspective I had on it was, I know that I can't control other people. I, I, I can't manipulate them. I can't talk them into something. So instead of like trying to control the actions of other people, what can I do to make it easy for someone to say yes to something that I think is a good idea? I think these two mm. perspectives are really important to start with because this isn't about convincing parents to keep their kids enrolled during the summer. This isn't about cajoling, begging, uh, manipulating, anything like that. So that that's how I would frame what I'm about ready to say. There's something you said there. I think when you're in the create mindset, you're more open and you think more creatively. When you're in the prevent mm. mindset, I think you get tunnel vision. You're fundamentally operating from a negative space. And I don't know if I would have thought of that had you not said what you did. Anyway, yeah, dig it. okay, so yeah. walk us through your method step by step, yeah. and then if you don't mind, I'll ask questions along the way. I think there's one more thing before I get into that that, that influences my perspective on this, and that is built into the human software is a mm. fundamental desire to preserve energy. It's subconscious. Mm. It, it's baked into who we are as humans. And so the the third perspective I would give on this is that if you, if you make it easy for someone to say yes and give them the steps in advance, it's just easier for them to say yes sometimes 
than to come up with a, a, a different plan. So all this together, I know this is a little bit abstract, but we are going to get super practical here in a second. But all this together is kind of what, again, influence or color my perspective on how, how do we make it easy to say yes for parents to stay in summer lessons. And for me, that was group lessons, but this would work just as well with you know a one-on-one lesson program. Also, you have to understand this wasn't entirely motivated by money for me either. Here was a mm. deeper purpose that I had for wanting to do this is that nice. I would have students take all through the school year. They'd be making great progress. They would have really good, you know, they'd be having really good results. And then we get to summertime. Parents would stop for a couple months. We come back in the fall and now I'm remediating for a month or two and we're building that momentum up again. And it, I mean, it sometimes mm-hmm. felt like it wasn't until October, nearly the Thanksgiving break that we were kind of banging on all cylinders again. And there was a, there was a frustration mm. point for me as a teacher in, in this just taking a break. Another thing mm. I never took a break as a musician for the summer. We referenced this in the camp episodes. Um, mm. There's no such thing as taking time off as a musician. So if you're wanting to build a child's identity around music, I think there's a way that you communicate this. That isn't like, Hey, you can, the policy says you can't take the summer off isn't nearly as powerful as as laying out a vision for a parent as to who their child's new identity is. And I'm going to get into that probably more later, but mm. you, you got to communicate in such a way with parents that it isn't it isn't just about dollars and cents cuz it for me it wasn't. There was a lot that went into this. Yeah, it was a small part of it, but but you know, there was a greater frustration around just here's this student I really, really like and what they're going to be gone for a couple months and then they're going to come back and we're going to have, I'm going to have to be reteaching things, all this sort of thing. No, I don't, I don't want that. Uh, you know, cause yeah. sure I could go market and replace that child for the summer. I didn't want to, I wanted to work with that child, not a new one. When we stay student focused and family focused and what their journey what they have the potential for their journey, you know, they have unlimited potential of course. And you're describing your belief in their potential. And when you say things like, now we have to spend two months rebooting, or as you put it, getting back to the cylinder, all cylinders hitting, it's it's important for us to discern the messaging there. It's actually not about you as a frustrated teacher. Right? If if we start talking about how it's difficult for us as teachers or school owners, yeah. dollars and cents is like school owner language. Mm-hmm. Um, frustration for teachers is teacher language. If we start talking in those ways, then you're back to the parent trying has no, they don't have any um, reference point. Mm-hmm. They're not a teacher. They're probably not a business owner, right? So they can't reference those. But if you talk about their child and their potential, and as you put it beautifully, dude, you said identifying with their, uh, our, 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 um, the child's new identity as a year round musician I think you're going to get to this uh, in your steps, but I just, that's such an important line to draw yeah. in the messaging piece. It's like, keep it about the student's potential and your belief in them. And our parents, these families we've developed relationships with are much more likely to listen. Right, Daniel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that. It's just like, I love how you point out that, of course, it's frustrating for you as a teacher. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to have to go back to those same chapters again and relearn that material. But the actual um, 
method, which I think you're about to outlay, you're talking mm-hmm. about your motivation, is around communicating the opportunity for the student. Yeah. As a final thought on that, you know, there's concepts that we often reference in this podcast, and, and it, they are larger themes that have gone across these, you know, 60 plus episodes that we've done. And I think this is one that's really important to me and one that I really want everyone listening or watching to, to really wrap their mind around. And that is, if you really want to be successful as a business owner, you have to have the humility to lay down your perspective to not deny that you have a perspective, but always see it through the eyes of the people that you're serving. Your messaging will be better. Your marketing will be better. Your, the experience of owning your school will be better. You won't feel as confused as to why people are doing the things they do. Uh, mm. So yeah, lay nice. down your perspective, pick up theirs, start seeing it through their eyes. That'll really help you with the messaging of this. And, and I think with saying that, I, I really... I think that's all I have on the abstract slash introduction to this idea. I think we can get really practical now and talk about a way that not only did I use in my school, I've taught it to a lot of school owners from, you know, single teacher studios up through schools that have, you know, dozen plus teachers. I think this is something that every school can do uh, and see greater attendance in their summer lesson program. You want to hear Love it? it? Lay it out for us. Okay. Yeah, let's, d- let's dig into the details here. Yeah. So this is super practical. So step one, open Google Forms. <laughs> okay. Love it. So, keep okay. it easy. Keep it right. cheap. All, all, so all jokes aside, here's kind of the strategy, if you will. What I did every year, late spring, usually about a month before school let out, I would send out my summer survey. And the summer survey was a Google form and I did a couple things. And, you know, even in the show notes of the show, I might just give a link to an example of, of what this looked like, like the exact questions I ask and all that sort of thing. But mm. we would send out, a, I would send out an email to everyone in the studio and, you know, it'd say, Hey, I need you to fill this out within the next seven days. Um, this is due by, you know, May 8th or, or whatever it is. Mm. first page was simple information name of student uh current address current phone number you know just to make sure i had my records up to date on that um uh, any new medical information i should know about allergies asthma that sort of thing i you know i want to know that stuff (laughs) um so simple first page second page pick a pick a slot to take lessons over the summer now since i was a group lesson studio I would in advance choose where my group lesson slots would be. So I, so literally the second page of this form would be uh, Monday and then I'd have all the slots Tuesday, all the slots Wednesday, all the slots. Now, mm-hmm. if you're running a private lesson studio, this could be a little more challenging. You have a couple options. You could do this by teacher. Mm-hmm. You could do this by, um, uh, well, actually, it really would just would be by teacher. I think there's several different ways you could do it, but it would have to be by teacher because that student isn't going to a new teacher. Potentially, they're just working with that teacher. So you'd want to meet with your teacher in advance, figure out what their summer schedule will be, the slots that there will be available, mm-hmm. and then make that available to each person. It's a little bit of work, but worth it 
you know, if we're going to prevent a mass exodus from the studio in the summer, I'm not going to get into the weeds on that. I think you can yeah, we were, see the example and, and it'll, it'll make sense. Go ahead, Nate. Yeah. And Daniel, and I was just reviewing some past summer lesson notes in BMF and yeah, the step one for us was always, we survey our teachers available. We do the yeah. same thing for camp. Like we just completed that now and it's mm. late January, early February. Um, so love that. That's like okay. a 0.5 step oftentimes. Yeah. I'm like one through five. Hold on. I needed a 1.5. Right. The 0.5 yeah. is if you're a multi teacher's uh, studio, then be sure to survey your teachers on their summer availability. First. Yeah. First. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Now we're on. Okay. Cool. I love it. So I love the simplicity of the Google form. Yeah. I have the schedule. They, and, and what I say on there is pick all of the slots that you would be available. Not just the one you want. Pick all that you would be available for reasonably. And then this is critical. This is very strategic. What I did next underneath mm. that, I put a open text box, a long, a long response answer. And it said, if there's any particular slot that you want most indicate that here period, or if you have any other messages you want to share with me, share those here. Any other notes or something like that. I'm going to explain why this is so important in a minute. Mm. But that ends the second page. And then the third page was optional. So everything up to this point, they had to fill out to be able to submit the form. The third page had some optional questions. And I would often ask marketing style survey questions. I would try to put at least one or two questions on there like, hey, what feedback do you have for lessons right now? Or you know, mm. questions that can help guide my marketing. Um, is there anything that, you know, you, I would try to come up with creative, creative questions. Like if you could give yourself advice about your child taking music lessons, you could go back in time. Mm. Like what would you, what advice would you give yourself before they began? Like just stuff like that. It, it was a way to draw the thinking of the parent out. And I tried not to ask yes, no questions. I would ask questions mm. that would make them think or that were a little bit unusual. And it would just help me see into the mind of the parent. And then I could use that for like writing headlines, coming up with ideas for ads, um, for all kinds of ads. So that's the end of the form. I think another good question to ask on there would be what questions would you have for me as the teacher? Like, what are you confused about mm -hmm. in lessons right now? So I think that's it's just, just all kinds of questions you can ask parents on that page three. Yes. Now, before I get into like deployment and what I did with all the information, I want to jump back to that strategic question I had on page two, because this is really the crux of my quote unquote method for keeping kids in lessons for the summer. So if you mm. recall, I send an email out. It's very simple. And it says, hey, we're getting ready for the summer session. There's a quick survey I want you to fill out so you can pick your summer slot. Click the link below. I need this back by May 8th or, or whatever it is. It's about a month before my summer lessons would start. Based on our school year calendar here, that was usually the bridge week between May and June. That was our township, but there's nothing magical about the first week of May. That was just about a month before when our, when our school let out for the year. We usually let out right before Memorial Day. Okay, so you will notice in that email, I do not reference at all. I don't say anything like, also, if you don't plan to take lessons this summer, let me know. I don't say that in email. I never say that in the survey. That box where I said, if you have any additional notes for me, leave them here. And what would happen is parents would 
would leave me a note there that says, ah, you know, I don't know if we're going to take lessons this summer because we're going to be gone here, 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 and here. So the strategic element of this for me was, and, and, you know, we referenced recently in an episode that uh, we, we did an episode on competition and we said a lot of times a music school owner's biggest foe isn't other competition in their area. It's themselves. Like there's, they, they, cre- they, they make unforced errors. I think the same thing happens here. I think so, some school owners, some mm. studio owners are so anticipating people taking off that they start using that kind of language in their speech, in, in their communications with families in the studio, whether it's in person or by email over the phone, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So it's an unforced error in my opinion. And if you're expecting it, you might even be subtly creating that expectation in families. Even if you don't explicitly say, Oh, please don't take off for the summer or, um, Oh, the policy in the studios, you can't take off for the summer. I just never talked about it. So it became natural and people would come and ask me, but I never said anything about it. And so I think a lot of families, it just never even came up for them. That's, mm. that's really the subtle deeper hack here. But let me keep talking about this box. Cause I, there was a, there was a particular way that I responded to people. If they actually did say to me, I think we're going to take the summer off. I had a follow up question because mm. another thing that we talked about actually in that competition at, um, app that you referenced was how important it was to know your demographic and know your region, et cetera. So I'm curious if this is an important part of this stre- of this mindset of just knowing uh, that maybe a bunch of your families actually prefer to send their kids away or prefer okay. or can or can afford to or can't afford to. I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing that out. In your discovery process, did you find that X percent of families were like, no, actually, we always take a break because we always want our child to, you know, go canoeing for three weeks or whatever right. it is. Go camp. Okay. Uh, so is that is that an important factor or not? So the cultural, the local culture. So I, I can't speak to this. I didn't know we were going to get into this episode, but it turns out as you say this, I have a lot to say about it. My area was unique. If you look at the median average income for my zip code, which of course I know because I'm that nerd. In -hmm, terms of our city, our median average income in this zip code was about the median of our city. And so within this zip code and in this township, which encompasses three zip codes, um, we, I would say it was mostly middle class. Mm. Uh, There are a number of subdivisions that have been built over the last 15 years where it's like high, high income, like really expensive homes. Mm. Um, And they're dotted throughout this township, but our, our township is mostly um, white collar professionals, probably on the middle to lower end of the income spectrum. Mm. Okay. So, and also our local culture is, is, um, is very sports based. We have a really good high school football team here Mm, and there's a lot of little leagues, little league soccer, little league basketball, little league baseball, et cetera. So summer sports camps. Yeah. Summer stuff. (laughs) Totally. So here's my point and why I'm saying all that is that also, okay. One other, I think important to note, we have actually um, 
over the last 20 years, we have a growing immigrant population of immigrants mm. who work in uh, tech um, and medical fields. Mm, um, yes. So there's a lot, uh, there's a growing, there's been a growing diversity here. And I bring that up because there were people in my studio where they would take the summer off because they were going back to Pakistan to see family that they hadn't seen totally. in 10 months. And they go out yep. there, you know, yep. for a couple months in the summer. Of course, I'm not telling them they yep. have to stay for the summer. Point being is this, is that the re- the reason when people left a note for me in that box. Yes. The box back for the box. additional notes. Yeah. When people left notes for me, the number one thing that I saw was, Hey, they're going to be at music camp, like another music enrichment camp this week. They're going to be in volleyball camp this week. We're going out to Utah to see our family this week. And then we're going to Florida on just family vacation this week. So that's like already four weeks this summer that we know we're not going to be here. I think it would just be easier if we didn't do anything this summer. Okay. That was the main thing that I saw that probably 75% plus the time. I know that's just anecdata. I know that isn't superficial, but that I was really clued into this stuff. So even though I can't give an exact percentage, I know that that was the majority. Yeah. So what I would notice, especially as I got more bold, um, in my marketing and I got more confident as a studio owner was that, uh, you know, I, I did create an expectation that we would just go through the summer part one part. Uh, so by doing it this way, what I found was I didn't have a lot of arguments or conversations to have. So in other words, to me, the perfect solution is one where the problem doesn't even present itself. So as opposed to having to play defense, by doing it in this method and by creating an expectation that this is a year round studio, um, I didn't have a lot of conversations to have. So that's what I mean by a good offense versus playing defense. Like I wasn't having to argue with people for all the, the, for all the things that I did to just prevent the argument from happening to begin with. That's what I'm saying. But for the people who actually wrote in the text box, you know, we have we have at least four or five weeks where we know we're not going to be here. I think we'll take the summer off. This is how I would respond to them. I would respond in a very particular way. And this is the thing that I've, you know, taught to other schools and, and they've reported back to me like, wow, that that actually really did work. Along with the other mindset changes you gave me about all this stuff, the stuff we talked about at the outside of the episode. So what I would do is I would write that family back. I'd send an email and I'd say, "Hey, um, thanks for letting me know. Um, it sounds like Sarah's going to have a really exciting summer, but I don't want Sarah to lose momentum on her lessons." And so, and then I would kind of you know write a paragraph that is would be reminiscent of what I said at the front of the episode. Uh, and that paragraph would contain things like, you know, she's made a lot of progress. What I've noticed is when students take time off, we spend the first, you know, the first half of next semester mm-hmm. just remediating them, getting them caught back up. We often have to do review old songs and that's okay. But I have some ideas as to how um, she could, not lose momentum. So I would use that phrase a couple times in the email, not lose momentum. Something about that phrase was kind of magical. I would actually even use it with families in person. 
I think they mm. would just understand that. And now they had this phrase that they latched onto. Oh, I don't want them to lose momentum. So instead of mm. launching into a long explanation, instead of like telling them what the policy was, instead of, you know, again, no begging, no threatening, like nothing like that. It was, Hey, this is about them. And it's true. They would lose momentum. And there's this phrase now that they can latch onto as a thing they don't want, because now I can wrap into it. Like, you know, this is, this is a waste of their time. It's a waste of your money. We're going to end up having to remediate at the beginning of the year. Tell you what I'll do. And so these were the options I'd give. Now, one mm. of them, for those who might have been listening, you know, ep- around episode 57, I think it was, I did reference this a little bit in, in our selling out your summer camp. Mm. One of the things I did was offer these book blast weeks where current students could mm. come and take their entire, you know, take their entire summer in one week. So it became less about filling my summer camp and more about just giving parents, this is huge, everyone, giving parents options in the format with which they wanted their child to take the lesson. To Mm, me, the summer camp wasn't primarily about, for me, the summer camp primarily wasn't about, ooh, I want to have a successful summer camp. It was, this is an additional formatting option for parents especially busy families, parents of busy families, like you can do your lessons week to week like normal, or do you want to come to an intensive week? They'll actually probably get even more value out of that than just coming week to week. This is a unique opportunity for them to like be immersed in music for one week. Kids love it. They get prizes, games. We do super bucks, all this sort of thing. So that's like my coda on all the camp episodes we've been doing over the last, you know, we, we did that's kind of the coda on that. This like is the full perspective of why I initially started book blast camps. Wasn't just so I could have a summer camp. It was to solve the summer problem. So that's one answer. I imagine yep. you want to ask me some questions before I jump into like some of the other options I gave. So I'm going to, well, stop. I want to give it, <laughs> but you're, you're kind of making me, it's your initial comment of just being humble as a studio owner and being like, Oh, Wait, dude, you've been, I've been doing this for 13 years with BMF and I've been missing this beautiful opportunity you're describing right now. Running a music school can be a challenge. You can only see so many students per week and it feels like you're trading time for dollars. Margins are small and you're always looking for qualified teaching staff. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way to see more students in less time while maintaining high educational standards for your school? Well, now you can with Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Piano Express is a new way to teach group piano, one that seamlessly combines a new innovative group method, technology, and industry-leading teacher training to make it easier and more profitable than ever to start group lessons in your studio. Piano Express allows you to see 12 students per hour per teacher, and over a decade of testing has shown that the gamified curriculum significantly increases student practice times and studio retention. To help you get started, the Piano Express method has a training course for you and your team. It's included when you use the system in your studio. Most schools can get their first class up and running in just a few weeks. So visit grouplessons.com to sign up for a free demo or use our calculator to see how much money your school can save each month by using Piano Express. Before we hit record, we said we weren't going to do another camp episode, but I think actually this is Mm. important. So we had Pira on, your camp director and co-founder of BMF, on episode 59. And she 
when we were conceiving of the camp series, we were conceiving of, hey, let's talk marketing, let's talk pricing, and let's talk content. And Pira kind of filled that slot for us in terms of content. You and I really didn't talk that much. This might actually be a good place for me to actually follow up and give an alternate conception of what that summer camp could be. Because even right now, there are some studio owners that I'm working with that because they've heard those initial camp episodes, they came to me and said, well, should I be doing a camp too? And I'm like, okay, first off, slow your roll and uh, don't distract yourself if that isn't going to be really important to you achieving your yearly goals. So, you know, and I would say that's everyone listening yeah. too. But secondly, yeah. you know, Pierre and you have created a much more creative, robust, inventive camp than I ran in my studio. Now, doesn't mm. mean I couldn't because we ran the Piano Express summer camp long before I did mm. my book blast camps in the studio. And the Piano Express summer camp, that was really creative, inventive, big. We were building a big thing. The book blast camps for me, I really like your phrasing of instrument intensive. That's mm. really what it was. And admittedly, it is easier to run group lesson style. But I'll even tell you, I wasn't fully group lessons. Until like eight years in. And I'd been doing book blast Ooh. camps long before um, I was fully group lessons in my own studio. I would have private one-on-one -on -one students come to my book blast camps in the summer as a alternative to taking private lessons through the summer. They would come to this instrument intensive. It was two hours a day. And Ooh. one week was about the cost of taking, uh, was about the same cost as taking lessons over the summer. Um, and so they'd come and, and I did them some years, two hours, some years I did them two and a half. I think even one year I did it three hours, just, I was testing and I was doing different price points. And I figured out after a couple summers of experimentation of like what the best was, I know I'm kind of rabbit trailing there. Let me get back to the main point. Idea was that, um, kids would come, they would be immersed in, in lessons. And I mostly just kept their hands on the piano for a couple hours and because yes. they were doing all their practice there with me, because mm. um, we were focused, we would run the hour as, you know, practice games, um, you yeah. know, more practice right there. Break next hour, practice games, um, more practice break or mm -hmm. done for the day. And then for the years I did it a little bit longer, I would maybe do like another game at the end or something like that. Um, point being is that if you're thinking about summer camp and you're thinking of it primarily as, Hey, we got to do a bunch of advertising and get a bunch of new families into the studio. And we got to, Oh man, man, that sounds really, sorry. This is Daniel speaking. That sounds really hard. That that's yeah. not how yeah. I, that's not how I thought of summer camp. Summer camp for me primarily was, okay, I'm providing a different formatting option for people in the studio who are going to be really busy this summer. And they can either a optionally choose to just do this thing, which is what I put in that email. That was the first thing. Hey, let's do a book blast camp or some combination of like, Hey, do you want to do a book blast camp in June when you're taking all these trips? Like maybe at the beginning and then you're not really doing a lot in July. Do you just want them to have them come back and get into the, the rhythm of lessons again? So some families, would do the book blast camp and they would additionally take some extra lessons. And I, and the third option I gave people in that email to kind of go wrap back all the way around to that email. And the options I gave people was the third thing I would just say is, Hey, that's okay. Maybe we do this instead. Let's just pick your, your dates this summer that you're actually going to be in town. Let's put them on the calendar. And if you don't want to do the book blast camp or you don't want to do some combination of book blast plus just the lessons, 
maybe we just create a, a custom plan for you this summer and, and um, with a custom price and you just come the weeks you can. I'm very flexible on makeups. It won't be a problem, but I just don't want them to lose momentum. I, okay, now I have to understand that was a third option. I often didn't talk about that in the first email. I would send the first two options. And if they still felt hesitant or like, ah, that just, I don't know if we want to do that. I would do that as like a third last ditch effort to do right. that. And yes. then I would tell people, hey, if, if you don't do some combination of this, I can't guarantee your slot in the fall. Now, that's not mm. something that everybody here, I either A, feel comfortable doing or B, um, actually can't back that up. So here's what I mean. I would tell people yes. early on what I didn't know what I was doing marketing wise, like, hey, you might not have your slot in the fall, but then I needed the money and I had no one else taking the slot. So mm -hmm. they just learned, oh, that's an empty threat. So I just stopped making it. Um, mm. Which, by the way, I didn't think of it as a threat. It was just, I was like, oh, please, please stay in the summer. You know, later, it actually got to the point where it, it, if someone quit, I could usually replace them within a week. And so I would just let people know, like, hey, if you give up your slot for the summer, I've already had a bunch of people reach out that will take that slot. So, I think it would actually be, I really want to keep working with them. So which one of these do you want to do? And they would just do it, you know? So high demand uh, on your lesson yeah. slots will, will make sure that you uh, is also a factor in this, but there are these other things too, that even if you don't have high demand or you don't quite have your marketing there, or you're a very, very large school and you know, you need a lot of leads and a lot of people coming in. That, you know, that that's an optional thing that might not apply to you. But the first three ideas that I gave there worked for me even before I had created high demand for myself. Anywho, I wanted, can I throw out one other option based on how Brooklyn Music Factory has attempted summer mm. lessons, which, yeah. Um, so we've always attempted some version of summer lessons. And I'm going to give a fourth option here from the BMF perspective, which mm. is, we always do, and we've done a couple of episodes on re-enrollment. So as, as you know, Daniel, we treat April and May about filling the fall schedule. Yes. And it occurs to me that we could actually have a prequel to this uh, re-enrollment, which is all about summer. And the fourth option is, if you're not able to commit to an instrument intensive at BMF, or a customized private lesson package with Ben or whatever, whomever the teacher is, then we need you to commit to your slot for the fall. Mm. Right. And if you can't commit to your slot for the fall by putting down that $115 deposit now, then we can't guarantee that you'll have a spot in the fall. Mm. So we've actually like sort of before we've, we've actually just baked summer lessons into our re-enrollment campaign now as the fourth reveal or the third reveal along mm. those. But we, mm. so I, I just wanted to add that as an option from the perspective of how we do things. Cause some of our listeners have probably listened to this re-enrollment episode a few times and been like, Oh, you know, BMF does this great work around the musician's journey report that then leads to re-enrollment for the fall. And then, sh and then they have like a 70%, you know, re-enrollment by the, by the end of June for the fall. Da, 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 da. But I'm saying, I'm hearing you talk about your summer plan and I'm thinking, wait, I want to actually tweak our re-enrollment system a little bit. Like I've been taking mad notes as you've been talking too. One of the things I'm going to do, dude, is I'm going to send this episode 
to Ben, our private lesson director, and be like, Ben, listen, listen to all this wisdom that Daniel's sharing around his methodology. And also to Jessica and be like, I wonder if we could tweak our re-enrollment around the mm. private lesson program. So anyways, I wanted to add that and then sort of close with a question for you, Daniel, if I could. Mm. Which is, um, just for our listeners' benefit, describe how many years you were testing this system, where it, what, what it felt like at the beginning, mm. where it was like warts and all, and you were just kind of making it up as you go along, like every business owner, trying to figure <laughs> out what's working and what isn't, versus when you were in the final summer before you closed your studio, how did it f- operate? How did, how, how did it feel to run that summer version in the final year versus when you were first testing it out? Can you give us just a sense of the number of years that you evolved this and what it felt like from beginning to end? I feel like that would be a good perspective for our listeners just so they don't have false expectations if this is the first summer they're rolling this sucker out. Right. So I don't know if I could identify off the top of my head the first year that I ran my summer survey. It probably was fairly early because... I had to know where students were going to be for the summer and uh, I just needed that information. I think getting more to the point of what you're asking there, the, the, the deeper question there is that for me, everything was experimentation. The way that I viewed it was this, I, I there's gotta be a better way. Yep. <laughs> and so for me, when it came to studio policies or trying to manage out some of these issues or problems, I I thought about it very much the way I thought about teaching some of the harder musical concepts to kids. My, all my mm. students early on in my mm. career were terrible at te- at playing dotted half notes. I think that's probably something that a lot of music teachers feel frustration mm. around. Like, gosh, how do I get these kids to play dotted half notes? It feels like it takes them six months to finally wrap their heads around it. I don't know. Maybe I was just particularly bad as a teacher. Maybe Maybe that's just me. In, in any event... What I did was I tried a number of different ways of doing it. Like it was like experimentation. Every time a kid came through that part of the method, like I would try subtle differences, subtle changes, language changes. What am I doing in the, in the weeks and months mm. leading up to that? What are the pri- What am I doing way back when they first learned eighth notes? How am I teaching eighth notes that contributes to problems that they might have with dotted half notes later? Like there, there was this thinking of like everything that's everything's in play. That's how I thought about studio policies as well. So mm. what I'm saying is, and I know that's a really complex way of answering your question, but I, but I want to give the, I want to reveal everything, not just pretend like, Ooh, send this one email. that solves all your problems. For me, it mm. was, what's the nature of the relationship between the family and me? Like, what's the frame? What, um, who, who actually has um, not the upper hand, but, but, What's the na- yeah? What's the nature of that relationship? How am I introducing concepts to, to families in the studio? How am I helping them deal with change? How do they see me as someone that they fundamentally trust, or am I just like a commodity in their life? Are they happy that they're here? Mm. So like all of that gets baked into it, and then when it comes down to how I actually did this method, what happened was over the course of you know uh, three or five years, like I I. T- changed and experimented with the ways that I introduced it. And I eventually came to this way where it was like, Oh wow, that was really good. But you have to understand too, that during that time I was getting better at marketing. I was increasing demand in my studio. So my frame as the studio owner was one of, Oh, would you please stay here to like, Hey, you know, 
I'm sorry, but like, if you guys don't do something this summer, like I, I'm going to fill the slot. So, so it is. So, oh man. So it isn't just like, again, Hey, take this email solves all your problems. There's some other things going on beneath the surface that also drove how I did it and drove the effectiveness of it. So, okay. So I want to, I want to put a button on it in terms of, I want to marry your method with your mindset. Mm -hmm. Dig that. Yeah. So the mindset I hear is one that you talk about actually quite a bit in some previous episodes, which is that you're in a growth mindset. So I hear the mindset piece, and then you've just given us, honestly, Daniel, a really pretty simple method, right? And you've even given us very clearly the options based on what parents, uh, how many parents respond to this Google form and in what way, right? Um so I guess my last question is just, you know, is there anything that you failed to mention that you'd like to close with mm. around this summer retention methodology and the mindset that goes along with it? There is one thing. I was thinking about this as we unpacked all this and probably looked at this in, in a lot more detail than I really anticipated. I thought this was going to be like a 20 minute episode. <laughs> so, so did I. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it's no problem. Um, and so let me give this one other kind of nugget of wisdom, like a different perspective on this. Before I do that, let me just briefly recap. One, get into the right mindset about what you're trying to do here. Understand your reasoning for why you want students to say if it's or stay for the summer. If it's just, oh, I need the cash, not as effective as thinking about how you can serve your families. Two, plan out the calendar for this. Three, make your form. Four, deploy your form. Five, uh, respond to families. You know, six, make your schedule for the summer. You know, seven, uh, see, see how the families that you did need to respond to respond to your response. And, you know, and I think you kind of have gone through this process. But here's one other thing that if you haven't done things this way in the past, there's there, there might be a little bit of a hidden surprise here that I discovered after I started doing it this way is that because of the strong stance I took on this, mm. what this would do sometimes is surface for a family, something subconscious or deeper that was going on. And this actually caused people to quit. So as opposed to like, Oh, we'll see you Ooh. in the fall and you being in this position of like, Oh, I guess they're coming back in the fall. This would actually just force a family's hand. It might have them to have, it might force them to have a conversation at home away from you from like, okay, well, do we want to do this book blast camp? Mom and dad start talking and they're like, you know what? I just don't know if we're feeling piano lessons anymore. We're fighting with Johnny all the time. Maybe we should just mm. stop. So what this actually caused sometimes too was for people to just get really honest about themselves or about their lesson experience. And I would have a small group of people quit right in the school year because I had such a, a, a strong process to put people through that it forced these conversations. And then I would just replace them with people right there at the end of the spring, beginning of the summer and get this. Mm. Well, who, who are the kinds of people that will start lessons in the summer? I'll tell you who the kinds of people that will take lessons next summer and the summer after that, and the summer after that, 
what happened over time was that I think I cultivated a studio that uh, of people that just expected to do lessons year round because I weeded out people that didn't want to. And I was really upfront and I would bring a lot of people in either at the beginning or end of the summer each year. And, um, and over mm. time, this just got easier and easier and easier. So that's like the the deeper long-term implications. And, you know, on this podcast, we try to just, we try to go beyond surface level. And I have thought very, very deeply about this. And I hope that like with that little extra nugget of wisdom there at the end, like you're, it gives you a different perspective, even on everything I've said for the past, you know, how many other minutes we've been doing this, just like, oh, interesting. So it's about, it's about creating a long-term expectation and even if I have that long expect long term expectation, it might attract other people who are kind of in alignment with me on that. That's really cool. Like that's certainly another uh, ingredient in this recipe of a studio that was really unstressful to manage when it came to wanting to have a certain experience in my career. Yeah, I love that last comment, Daniel. Thank you so much for the method, the mindset. You've certainly got me to think actually a little bit differently around summer. And right now it's February 17th when we're recording this. And I appreciate it. And I'm grateful for it. Because I'm actually going to... I've made a list of actions I'm going to take to my own team. Based on the episode that we recorded right nice. now. So I hope it's inspiring to our listeners in the exact same way. Uh, thank you so much. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.